Hello there, this is A.D. Robles, and you're listening to A.D. on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. Well, I wanted to get a quick episode in today. I know it's the holiday season and uh, probably don't have a whole lot of time to listen to podcasts if you are if you are a member of the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network or even if you're not. Um, but I wanted to put this out there. I actually saw a, uh, a thread on Twitter that I was tagged in. I don't think I participated in it at all, except maybe I did like a few tweets here and there. Um, I'm not sure how I got tagged to it. I, I, it's hard to really follow Twitter. I don't know if maybe I'm just getting old and I can't. I can't do social media anymore, but I can't follow Twitter threads. It's hard. It's very complicated. But this thread was about the law of God, and um, I wanted to just highlight one quick thing in this. This is a really poor way to argue uh, against the law of God, which is a very weird position to take in the first place. You know what I mean? I, I can't imagine wanting to put forward the idea that that God's law was somehow wrong and you know, we can't we can't do it anymore. It would be oppressive to implement God's law. I can't imagine arguing that as a Christian, as an as an unbeliever, as an atheist, of course. But and even if you're against theonomy, it's just a, a very weird position to take that somehow we can we can do better <laughs> than God's law. But but anyway, I want to talk about the, the the way not to argue against theonomy because it just doesn't work. But before I do, I wanted to just mention how awesome it is to be reformed. That's right. It is awesome to be reformed. Not only is uh, is reformed theology the best theology, definitely the best by far. All other theologies are are, are they pale in comparison. Uh, not only is it a lot of fun. Not only can reformed people meme very well, but there's a lot of help that you get when you're reformed. Like we don't have to reinterpret the Bible. Every person that exists doesn't have to read the Bible and figure out everything for themselves. No, we've got a tradition. We've got fathers of the faith, you know, patriarchs, things like that, that have thought a lot about this stuff, right? And it doesn't mean that they're infallible. It doesn't mean that that they can't make mistakes. But we would be stupid, I think, to try to disconnect ourselves from all of the hard work that all of the reformers have put into um, sort of systematizing theology and, and helping us organize what we know about God from the scriptures, and the confessions, the Reformed confessions and the catechisms, they're very, very helpful for this. We don't have to reinvent the wheel every generation. It doesn't make sense to do that with the wheel. Why would it make sense to do that with theology? And so we can look at the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, the Reformed Baptist, uh, the London Baptist Confession of 1689, all that kind of stuff. We can look to these things and say, well, these are a great help. We don't have to to, to, to reinvent things over and over and over again. And, and I think that, unfortunately, sometimes within just kind of broad evangelicalism, we kind of get that idea that we just sort of all, all interpret it for ourselves and, and all that kind of thing. Not, not all of you. I mean, I've, I've had some really good um, kind of base evangelical teaching. There's no question about it. And, there, and, and that exists to a, to a great degree. But, but let's not fall into the trap where we assume that our, the best interpreter of the Bible has to be ourselves. I don't think that's always the case. And so, so the Reformed Confessions are very good. The, the Westminster Confession, I think, is the best confession. <laughs> it's the best. All other confessions pale in comparison. This is the best. And it talks about the government. And it is the glorious season, right? It is the glorious season. And there is a verse that I think we kind of just, we quote during the glorious season, but, but often we don't think about it. Or at least I'll speak for myself. I often don't think about it. 
and it's from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, and this is what it says. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. What a great verse. A lot of us have that verse memorized. A lot of us have that verse memorized, and we always quote it, uh, understandably so, uh, around Christmas. But that that one set of words, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Jesus Christ, when he was born, he was born as the King of Kings, as the Lord of Lords. Yes, he was a baby, but but we recognize that he was born a king. And it's not just like an imaginary sort of esoteric, weird kind of king that doesn't really have any influence here and now and doesn't really uh, have uh, laws and a system of government. No, no, the government is on his shoulders. What does that mean? Like, like, like let's, let's really kind of take a step back and think about this. Now, there's, there's, a, there's a full-orbed understanding of government, right? Like, we, 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 when we talk about government in the modern times, we, we talk about, you know, Washington, D.C., you know, the Kremlin, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but there's more than, than that. Um, there's a civil government. That is an aspect of government. But then there's also family government, church government, self-government. Government, government in, in the past has been more of a full-orbed idea. But it does not exclude the civil government. And the civil government is... On the shoulders of Christ. It rests upon the foundation of Christ and his word. And so Jesus Christ has something to say about civil government. There's no question about it. The Westminster Confession says this in chapter 23. It says, God, the supreme Lord and king of all the world, has ordained civil magistrates to be under him over the people for his own glory, and for the public good. So the civil government is under God, but over the people. And he does it for his own glory. He sets up the government. Hear that. For his own glory and for our good, for the good of the people. It goes on. It says, And to this end he has armed them with the power of the sword for the defense and the encouragement of them that are good and for the punishment of evildoers. Now, this is almost a correct, direct uh, quotation from Scripture. That's the cool thing about the Westminster Confession. It, it quotes Scripture a lot. There's a lot of scriptural proofs to it, but it also explains it a little bit more, and it, and, and it kind of fleshes out some of the ideas. And so the civil government is for God's glory. It exists for God's glory. He set it up. It was his idea. The civil government, our civil government in the United States exists for God's glory, and it also exists for our good. And what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to use the power of force, the threat of violence, okay? So please hear that. The the authority of the sword is a threat of violence against evildoers and to promote and protect those who are good. The Westminster Confession says, for the defense and the encouragement of those who are good. Now, here's the reality. Someone needs to decide (laughs) who is good and who's an evildoer. Someone needs to decide who is good and who's an evildoer. And further, someone needs to decide how to defend and encourage the good 
and how to punish the evildoers, because that's what the Westminster Confession says is the job of the civil government. It rests upon Christ's shoulders. Remember that part. And so someone needs to decide not only who's good and who's evil, but also how to defend the good and encourage them, and also how to punish the evil. Someone needs to decide that. Now, if we put all this together, right, the government rests on the soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the, the government is set up for Jesus's glory, Christ's glory, and for the protection of the people, the people that bear his image, image bearers. And someone needs to decide who is good and who is evil and how to defend the good and encourage the good and how to punish the evil. Who do you think is going to decide that? Who do you think is going to decide that? Well, even here, I mean, I, the answer is obvious, I think. The government rests on Christ's shoulders. Who do you think is the decision maker there? But if, even if you can't think, you know, in, in, in that kind of a way, the, the Westminster Confession provides a help. Again, it's great to be reformed. It's great to be reformed. It talks about in chapter 19 about the law of God. It talks about the moral law of God. It talks about the ceremonial law of God. But it also talks about the civil law of God. Here's what it says in in the fourth section of chapter 19, it says, To them also, as a body politic, he gave sundry judicial laws, which expired together with the state of that people, not obliging any other now further than the general equity may require. So the civil law of God that, that, that God gave to Israel, that's who we're talking about here, it expired when Israel expired. But it doesn't oblige anyone today further than the general equity may require. So there's a general equity, there's a moral principle, there's, 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 a, there's, a, there's an idea behind each of those laws that God gave Israel that we can implement today. Not only that, but we're actually required to. Civil governments today are required to apply the general equity of the civil law of God. So the question you should be asking now is, what is the general equity of the law of God? And that is a good question. And that's a question that requires a lot of thinking, a lot of debate, and a lot of prayer, and all of that kind of stuff. And a lot of reading the Bible, because God's law is a huge section of the Bible. And so, so, so here's the reality. So this is, this is the thread that I saw. People were arguing about the law of God. And somebody at some point said that one of the things that we should implement, the general equity of God's law, is that incorrigible criminals, in other words, criminals that just keep committing crimes no matter how many times they're caught, no matter how many times they're punished, no matter how many you know, sanctions that they have to pay, and they just keep committing crimes. They're habitual criminals. They're just a lifestyle of crime. Those kind of people should be executed, okay? Those kind of people should be executed. And this is a... A, 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 a principle that the law of God puts forward. People that refuse to be reformed, people that refuse to live in civilized society, they just want to be a criminal and that's all they want to do. We, people like this do exist, right? There's, there's people like this that do exist. Somebody said, well, the law of God says we should execute those kind of criminals. And I agree. Those kind of criminals should be executed. They're not fit for society. And it's not my opinion, remember. This is what the law of God says, and I happen to agree with it. Because I think every Christian should agree with the law of God. <laughs> Imagine that, right? Every Christian should agree with the law of God. And so somebody, somebody argues with this. 
this person I think claims to be a Christian, I'm not sure. But he says, okay, that would be the worst thing ever. He says, a Puritan regime which executes repeat shoplifters would be horrible. Nothing could be worse than that. Okay. And then, so somebody argues and says, well, we're not talking about shoplifters. And then this person says, well, you said repeat offenders should be executed. Where and how do you draw the line? Now, that's a good question. Where and how do you draw the line? Now, this person is using this question to argue against the law of God. But the reality is that nobody can escape the ask, getting this question asked to them. Because I would say to this person on Twitter, okay, so what do you do with repeat shoplifters? They just keep stealing. No matter what you do, no matter how much they have to pay back, no matter what punishments they get, they just want to be a thief. What do you do? Because something needs to be done, right? Something does need to be done. And so what's your solution? Because I agree, like, where do you draw the line? That's a very interesting question, and we should discuss that. Who decides, and where do you draw the line? Right? But that question could be asked of anyone. You see, there's really, you have no choice in these situations. You either choose to attempt to follow God's law, to attempt to find the general equity of God's law and apply it, or you look to somebody else to give you law. Those are the choices that we have. The government either rests on Christ's shoulders or it rests on somebody else's shoulders. A lot of people would say, well, we, just, we decide. We're democracy after all. And you see, this is one reason why I don't, I, I don't like the, the Constitution of the United States, because it gives the power to the people, and that's really not where it belongs, because the government does not rest on the people's shoulders. It doesn't. We can't bear that weight. We do a terrible job at it. And so when we talk about, you know, justice, when we talk about civil justice, when we talk about social justice, when we talk about any form of justice, you could put any modifier in front of that word, justice. If we're talking about the concept of justice, we have to be talking about the law of God, whether that's the moral law of God or the civil law of God. And according to the Westminster Confession, and this is, again, this is a summary of Scripture, I think that this does a good job capturing what Scripture teaches. We need to talk about what the general equity of that civil law is. If we're going to have justice in our society, if we're going to confess that the government rests on the soldier, sh- soldiers, the government rests on the shoulders of that child that was born, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who currently is a man in a body and sits with a body and sits at the at the right hand of the fa- of the Father. That one, the one who's putting all of his enemies under his feet. If we're going to confess that that's where the government rests upon, on his shoulders, he's the foundation, he's the lawgiver, he's the one who tells us who are the evildoers and who are the good, he's the one who tells us how to defend the good and how to encourage the good and also how to punish the evildoers. If we're going to confess that, then we need to actually talk about that. We need to take that seriously because we don't decide what justice is. We don't decide how to make things right. We don't decide how to punish evildoers. And if you think we do, I think you have a problem quoting Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and actually meaning it. 
For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Not ours. Not ours. Now, God saw fit to put people under him. God saw fit to have the government be his servant. That's what the Bible calls it. The civil government is a deacon of God, a servant of God. And so we're going to have to talk about how to implement that general equity. And this person seems to think that that's a horror. That's like a horror story. Oh my goodness. Could you imagine a Puritan regime deciding this? As if that's a bad thing. And I'm like, no, 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 that's a good thing. We need to have people who take the Bible seriously, who seek to follow the will of God, who seek to interpret the scriptures correctly. I mean, wh- why is everyone poo-pooing the Puritans? Did they get some things wrong? Yeah. But they were attempting to follow God. We have a government that's not even attempting that. They don't think that the government rests on his shoulders, but it does. So, yeah. You better believe I want people who agree. Yeah, the government rests on the shoulders of Christ, and that's what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to accomplish his will. We're trying to be his servant because the government doesn't rest on our shoulders. We don't get to decide who is evil and who is good. That's what we've got now, by the way. We've got people deciding who is evil and who is good, and guess what? We're jacking that one up big time, big time. I say enough of that experiment, enough of that experiment. Let's confess in 2020 that whenever we talk about justice, we're going to acknowledge, not only confess with our mouths that the government rests on Christ's shoulders, but also believe it in our hearts, in our souls. Commit to saying, okay, if I'm going to make a statement about justice, I better be connecting this to the law of God. And I better be willing to debate this with fellow believers because that's necessary. I'm not the final interpreter of the scripture. I see way too much conversation about justice that doesn't even reference the Bible. Or if it does, it references it like a typical progressive would reference the Bible. Oh, well, you know, you know, Jesus said to to love your neighbor, therefore there are no rules for your neighbors. Like, what? (laughs) Yeah, love your neighbor. Take care of those who can't take care of themselves, but there's still a law. (laughs) Let's commit to it. Because... When the Bible says that the government rests upon that child's shoulders, that actually means something. It has meaning. So when we move into 2020, we have these conversations about justice. Let's commit to it, guys. Let's confess it with our mouths, believe it with our hearts, believe it with our very souls down to its foundation and commit to the, 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 the truth that to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I hope you have a good New Year's. I hope that this um, podcast was helpful. God bless. Don't forget to tune in next week on Thursday for AD on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network.